All right, if you would, go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be taking up this letter as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians over these last few months with verses 12 through 31 of chapter 12. So chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. Now I would consider this providential that we come here to this passage this Sunday, especially since as we are prayerfully considering vision 2024. And you'll know what I mean here as I read it in just a second. But as we aim at Christ, and as we aim at the kingdom of Christ, one thing is clear, and it's this, we need each other. We need each other. And friends, you know, whatever your thoughts may be in regard to Vision 2024 last week, you need to know that all of you are dear to God. Amen. You know, and as your pastor, let me just say that you are dear to me also. And even that is exactly what you saw last week and have seen every week since I've been here since 2019. Is this love for you, even as I preach the word to you this morning. And so we need each other. And we see that here this morning in our passage that as a body that we are to strain forward together as one body in the Lord recognizing that each one of you matters. That we would indeed go forward and we would do that together for the sake of the gospel. Not for the sake of our kingdom, not for the sake of our plans, but for the sake of of Christ and his kingdom. Amen. And so to see this, let's start reading here with verse 12. May God be with us and may he help us and may he lead us and may he be glorified among us and through us as we take up the word of the Lord today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it in any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, 
we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Amen. Now, last time we looked at 1 Corinthians, which was, I guess, what, a week ago now, as we looked at the first verses of chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, we asked an important question. And if you hear, maybe you remember that question, maybe you don't, but either way, this is the question that we asked and that passage was asking. Under whose sway are you living? Under whose sway are we living? As believers, day in and day out, we go and we do all we do with the Spirit of God in us. Like right now, He is inside of you if you know Jesus Christ this morning. And we pondered that, and we have pondered that as we've looked at this letter. And ponder that right now. The Spirit of God is in you. And so He's in us with this central kind of banner over us that the Spirit of God emphasizes, heralds, and it's this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And He is Lord over us. He is Lord over you. He is Lord over this church. And this emphasis on Jesus as Lord, and we saw that in verses 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that emphasis, it sets the context for the spiritual gifts as well. It's not just, well, here's the Spirit of God, and let's just forget about Jesus. Well, the Spirit of God exalts Jesus. And so we looked at and need to see and need to understand any and all of the spiritual giftings in view of Christ being exalted with each one. And so we aren't to live under the sway of a Christless church a Christless spirituality, a Christless understanding of the giftings. But at every single turn, those who are truly led by the Spirit of God, what do they do? Well, they magnify the Son of God. That's what you'll see. And that's what you'll see in your life. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you'll magnify the Son of God. And so we are to live under the sway of Him, under the Christ-exalting Spirit of God. And that's right. Just get that in your mind in regard to the Spirit of God, the Christ-exalting Spirit of God. 
And under his sway, then, we come here to our verses amidst the Corinthian church with a variety of gifts and members and us also, right? Well, we need to see this. We need to see each member matters and is vital to the body of Christ. We need to see each member matters and is vital to the body of Christ. Now, these verses, they flow right off of verse 11. So what did Paul say there? Well, just look there, wherever you are in your Bible, just right above our verses here. All these, the spiritual gifts, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So connecting all of this to what he just said there in verse 11, Paul uses that connecting word he so often uses, we see it in the English there, and it's that word for in verse 12. So, for, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul, he uses this analogy of the body, and it's not just any old body, is it? What kind of body is it? Well, it's one Christ-centered body. One Christ-centered body. And we see this own ongoing emphasis here on Christ again and again and again and again. And we've seen it throughout this letter as well. It's a Christ-centered letter. And so like I said, we don't just kind of say, well, now let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, if he's at work, he'll love talking about Christ. And we've seen that as well. And so, as Paul says again there in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So as your own body is to be all about Christ, and we've seen that too, right? Your body belongs to the Lord. It is not your own. You were bought with a price. And so we've seen that as your life is to be lived in view of Christ and the kingdom of Christ, so also this church, so also us, so also Haven Baptist Church. It is the body of Christ. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. It's his church. So as we consider each of us here, the spiritual gifts, and what we are. We are that. Jesus is never left behind, nor is he to be left behind in any of these things, nor in anything that we do. We are to be about Christ in everything. Nor is he left out here in verse 13, where we see every believer was baptized and filled with the Spirit. So that's in your notes. Every believer was baptized and filled with the Spirit. Now what is he talking about here? What is he referring to? Is this verse talking about some sort of second experience that we are to have as believers where we will be baptized in the Spirit of God? Like You have your conversion, but then later on you get baptized in the Spirit of God. 
I really think that this letter gives us direction on the answer to this question. And the answer I think that this letter gives is this. No, we won't, nor do we need a second moment in our Christian lives where we, where we will experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you right now, and there's not like this second step to the Christian life where you kind of make it up a ladder just a bit more, you know, like now that I've, I've experienced this, I can now finally look down on all of you because you haven't experienced this, which is what happens. There's not a second tier level of Christianity where now I'm better than you, I've reached a higher plane than you, and so now all of you have to listen to me because I know better. Well, that's not what we see not only here in Corinthians, but we don't ever see that in the Bible. And in fact, I mean, Paul is dead set on making sure no one thinks that way. Just go read the letter of Colossians as he's taking on these people who thought exactly that. that they thought they, they, there was this higher plane that they could reach. And he says, no, Christ is enough. And so there's not this higher tier of the Christian life that you need to be looking for. Like, why am I missing out here? Now, on one level, see that Paul, he assumes this and even makes clear all the Corinthians had done this. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Assumes that they had done this. Now, just keep that before you. They had done this. What he's talking about here in verse 13 as in, they had all been baptized into one body. And by baptized is what we know of baptized. Like, what do you think of when you think of baptized? Well, you think maybe of that right there, right? Well, I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Now, in order to see what Paul is and how he's doing this, it's helpful to see how he has used that word baptism prior to this verse. And even how he will use it, which we won't look at that, but he'll use it again and later in 1 Corinthians, but it's the same meaning every single time. And so we see in chapter 1, 13 through 15, we remember those verses, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And of course, we know what that means, right? He's talking about water baptism there. And so he's talking about believer's baptism. And note that, how Paul, his language he uses there, because it's going to matter even here in our verse here, Baptized into that name, not just of anyone, but as Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're not baptized into the name of Paul, people. You're not baptized into the, to the, all these other people, Crispus and Gaius. You know, none of these guys. You are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, we could probably just stop there and even see how this passage before us right now, verse 13, is heading that direction. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, like Matthew 28, 19, baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so you could see it there and maybe even just say, well, okay, I get that. But I think Paul is going even further, though. He's making other connections here. So we go forward in 1 Corinthians to chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And you might remember what Paul, he said there. As maybe confusing as it was, as you read those verses initially, before I preach through them. So it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. This whole idea of being baptized into the name of someone. And he's going he's to take that, and I'm going to read on in just a second. He, he's going to take that, he's going to compare it to the Christian understanding of baptism, new covenant baptism into the name of Christ. So we should expect like Jesus to come up here in these next few verses. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Now this is very helpful for our present passage here. Paul all along has water baptism in view. Believers baptism in view. Now in chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 we have both sides of our verse here, don't we? Water baptism and drinking, right? You have all drank of the rock of Christ. So we see both of those here. And so Paul, as believers, Paul is saying, remember all of that. So just verse 13, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we see that connection there. So when you came to faith in Christ, you obeyed Him by being baptized because you had indeed drank from the rock of Christ. He is your portion. You were baptized into His name, into the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Now, some important practical points here. Paul assumes every believer in Corinth did this. Right? For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. All of you have done this if you are part of this church, Corinth. He assumes that. But also, if they are a believer, they would have rather quickly been baptized as well. Now, why would they have done that? Why was baptism assumed here in these verses? Well, here is where we get right in the thick of our day and where perhaps we have moved away from the biblical picture of a number of things. And we've gotten this all jumbled up in our day because we've put other things in the place of baptism. Well, like what? Nothing wrong with the altar call. We have an altar call here. But we put the altar call in the place of baptism. We put, you pray a prayer in the place of baptism. 
We put, you know, you sign this card here in the place of baptism. But the biblical expression of a profession of faith is believer's baptism. It's the believer's public profession that they belong to Jesus Christ. I am His, and He is mine. That's what you're doing there. You're, this is your only public instance that you're actually making it public in the sight of God. It's not the card. It's not the altar call. And this is why Paul, or this public profession, this identifying, when you do that, when you're baptized, you are identifying yourself with Christ. You're identifying yourself with His church. You're identifying yourself with the new covenant in His blood. And this is why Paul connects all this here. Believer's baptism is assumed here of every believer because that's exactly what Christ commanded us to do. If you know Christ, you would have done that. You would have made it public that you know Jesus. And so there is when and where we were baptized into the body, even as Paul connects this in Galatians 3.27, which we've heard this verse a lot over these last few weeks, but it's important because Paul keeps bringing it up, or at least bringing up baptism. And he says there, for as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Now, get this, he is not saying baptism saves you. And you don't need to hear this morning, baptism saves me. That is false, as a heresy, and it's not true. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Christ and Christ alone. And faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so Paul's not doing that. Baptism doesn't save. But what he is saying, this is where you publicly have said, I am his and he is mine. And you would have all done that. Because you would want to obey Jesus. Because he is what? He is your Lord. And he is your Savior. And what? do you do with your Lord? You obey your Lord and you follow Him. And so he assumes and he knows that these believers are baptized and they have drank of the one Spirit. They know Christ. They have drank of the rock of Christ. And so we'd be right to ask, hearing all this, seeing this, have you done that? And first and foremost... Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you turned from sin and from yourself and have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone to save you? Not church attendance. Not how many years you've been in the church. Not how many years you've been a member of a church. There's a guy I knew who I was preaching to in a nursing home. And I was preaching, I think, from the letter of James. And I was preaching the gospel to him, and he said, I have been a member for 60 years in a church. I have never heard this before. The gospel. You can be a member of a church for a long time and not actually know Jesus. Because membership isn't what saves you. Baptism isn't what saves you. It's Christ. His death burial and resurrection he died for you he took all this all your sins upon himself in your place 
God's love demonstrated for you. And so have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ this morning? And friends, if you haven't, you're not really part of this body. Nor nor are you a part of any body of believers. Because you're not a believer. And so do you know him? And, And if you have done that, if you have put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, have you obeyed the Lord in making that public? Not in signing a card. Not in an altar call. But in saying, my life is his. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but now I'm alive in Christ Jesus, and now I walk in newness of life. Amen. My life is his. So have you done that? Have you made it public? Now, if you have, if you're here and you know the Lord, as Paul continues on to say here, he wants them to know, and he wants you to know also, that you are essential to the body of Christ. You, if you are a believer here, you are essential to the body of Christ. So here we come directly to this imagery of a body. And we see, and you need to see, just how vital you are to the body of Christ. Friends, you are not incidental. You are not unimportant. You are not a number. You and all of you are vital to this body. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul, he makes that clear here, doesn't he? The foot, the hand, each member matters. Even as with your own body, one member isn't enough, right? Verse 16. Eyes can't hear. I mean, do you, do you do that when you're trying to listen to something? Like, you know, I mean, none of us do that, right? Because your eyes can't hear. I mean, maybe you'll do this if you're trying to squint to see something. You know, ears can't smell, right? I mean, when you're trying to get a whiff of your dinner, you don't go like this, right? I mean, you don't do that. How odd that would be. Because your ear can't smell. And how odd it would be if all of you were hands here, Right? What a weird thing this would be this morning. Everyone's sitting here in the pews, you know, with the hands. You don't even know what I'm saying because you can't hear it. I'm not even speaking because I don't have a mouth. What am I doing up here as a hand? I mean, this doesn't make any sense, right? You can't hear, you can't smell, you can't see. I mean, it's nonsense. So very practically, just see how this relates to us here and now. Each member matters. God said that. He put together the body this way. That it wouldn't ever depend on just one person. Ever. Verse 18. But God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Now practically, let's say you're at the doctor. You only asked you, okay, so which part of your body would you like for me to get rid of today? I mean, what, what might you answer him, right? What if he just kept going, you know, how about your hand there? Well, you want me to take that off for you? 
<laughs> no, right? Okay, well, what about your eye? I could, I could just plop that right out. You want me to do that for you? No, well, you know, I heard the other day your elbow is causing you some trouble. You want me to cut that off for you as well? No? Well, I mean, what kind of patient are you? You're being very unhelpful. Won't you let me cut something off? <laughs> I mean, that's just strange, right? And you would tell him, like, no, no way. I need my hand. I need my eye. I need all this. And this is the point that Paul is getting at. We need all of those. We might get along without a foot, but that's not good, right? It's not good, it's not desired, and it's not easy. And not having any one member of your body, it affects the whole body, right? All are needed. Every person, every member is needed. And every member of this church is needed. And you might think, or maybe you even feel this way, well, no one sees me. I, I just don't matter. I don't matter to this body. Well, that's not what God says, right? Those unseen areas of service are vital to the body, is what God says. Friends, can you see your heart? It's unseen. <laughs> Must not matter. No. It is vital. You, you don't have your heart, you're all dead. <laughs> you need it. You can't see your heart, but how important is your heart, right? I mean, you can't see the unpresentable parts. And we know what Paul's talking about here. How important are all those? Well, how many of you would be here without those? Not one of us, right? But they're not seen must not be important. Not true. So you and I, we need to see that, and you need to see that you matter. You matter. And America has gotten this all backwards. And it's certainly affected us. You know, it's consume, consume, consume. I mean, even here and now. It's engaging with the sermon. It's Gathering together to stir up one another to love and good works. Every time you, you gather, are you stirring up one another to love and good works? It's not just a consuming, I'm watching a movie mentality. So it's not a consumed picture. That's not the picture of the church here. So this passage, it blows the 80-20 rule out of the water. Now, what do, you, do you guys know what that rule is? Some of you do, some of you don't. What is that rule? Well, 20% of the members do 80% of the work, right? Now, that might be common, but friends, that is not good. And it's not biblical. You are needed, and you are even vital to the body. Every single one of us. You know, I remember my papaw, he's passed on now, but he had some health issues, and so he couldn't do a ton of things, but 
there back in Oklahoma where we're from. He never failed to get up, you know, every Sunday morning and come to the church before anybody else was there and he would go and he would make the coffee, you know, just serving and blessing everyone there. And most people at church didn't know that he was doing that, you know, but just think about how much that was a blessing to Sunday school teachers, (laughs) to the pastor as they're drinking coffee and everyone else as they're taking part and even more equipped to listen and be more active in their thinking in regard to having done that. Small area of service. Never seen. So there's, there's to be this sense of us of Psalm 8410. Now what does that passage say? Well, it says this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. Just this, this readiness to be a part of the body of Christ and, and see that whatever you're doing, it is vital to the body. It's vital to the body of Christ. You matter, and all of you do. And as Paul, he says there in verse 26... When one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Which means what? It means that you and I and all of us, we are to lay down our lives for one another. Lay down your lives for one another. And who are you modeling and who are we modeling when we do that? Christ. Christ laid down his life for us. And so you and so we are to lay down our lives for one another. You know, in college, I remember once I had a severe toothache. You know, one of those kind of toothaches that like anything else can be going around, on around you and you just totally don't get it. Well, I just remember sitting in class and the professor was talking and saying something and I was just like, I don't even know. You know, this pain is so bad. I just cannot hear or focus on anything that's being done right now. Well, what did I do? Well, my whole body went and got that taken care of, right? My whole body went and took care of that small little tooth, right? You know, this small little thing in my body. My whole self went to the doctor to get it taken care of. Well, that's what we are to do for one another. That's what, you know, laying your life down like the whole body. When one part suffers, the whole body just kind of comes around it and suffers along with it. Or if it's honor, they rejoice together with it. I mean, that's what, if you didn't know this, and I know membership has kind of Biblical membership, and it is biblical. It has fallen in hard times in regard to people understanding biblical membership. But when you become a member of a church, what you are saying and you are committing to is you are saying, I am going to lay down my life for the members of this body. And they are going to lay down their lives for me. That's what you're of a church. And so this flows, all that Paul says here, you matter, 
Every single member here matters. This flows right into verses 27 through 31 where we see, second, the multifaceted nature of the giftings for the good of the body of Christ. Second big point here, the multifaceted nature of the giftings for the good of the body of Christ. So Paul, he connects all this back to the spiritual gifts. All that he's saying He's making all the points that we just heard, but he's bringing it back around to say something significant with the spiritual gifts as well. A church living under the sway of the Christ-exalting Spirit of God will see that all of these giftings matter also within the body. You know, how easily there can be this creeping pride, even a a spiritual one-upmanship going on among us, And Paul, he's simply saying, that's not what we are to be, nor is that what we are called to. All of you matter, regardless of what gift you have. If your heart is like in front, like you're a member that's in front of everyone, or you're the member that no one ever sees, you matter. If the gifting God has given you puts you in front of everyone, or it does not, you matter. You see how this comes around to this point to the spiritual giftings. Each person is vital in service to Christ. So also with the spiritual gifts. And here we see each gift is for the good of the body. Now just note an underlying point here also, and it's an important one. Because you get this wrong and you get into cults, you get into legalism, you get into all sorts of things. Even kind of a celebrity pastor mentality or celebrity leader mentality or a family-centered church where it's all about them and the way they are. But this underlying point here that he's calling us to unity, not uniformity. And how big a difference those are. And how ununiform the body is, Right? I mean, yeah, this is my left hand, but it's not my right hand, right? It's different. It's functioning in its own way and doing its own thing, right? Not uniform. The body can do great things when all the parts are working in tandem, yet all the parts aren't the same. They're different, and their being different is vital to the body. And so also with the gifts, is what Paul's saying. Now, as we look at verse 28 here, there's something of an order that Paul is giving to the gifts here. So verse 28, you know, and God has appointed the church first, second, third. He doesn't do that with the rest. Then, 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 right? So he, has, he is giving here something of an order to the primacy of apostles and prophets and teachers, but for what end? Is it pride? Is it because they're better? No. It's for the good of the body. It's not one-upmanship here. This order, especially the first two, apostles, prophets, is partially why I think, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, why I think these two gifts have ceased apostles and prophets. 
They were part of the foundation of the church. But now that we have the Word, the canon, the Word, and the Spirit of God in us, we have all we need for life and godliness. And I get this, not just from anywhere, but I get this in part from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that Megan read from a moment ago. And so, what did Paul say there where he said, you are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And so the apostles and prophets, they were foundation stones having these revelatory gifts like Spirit-inspired words, even direct words from the Lord. So if you challenge them, you would be challenging God Himself. Do we have those today? Well, I'm saying, based on this, the foundation stones of the apostles and prophets, no more. Because we have the foundation. And the foundation has been laid. Teachers don't do this. That's not what I'm doing. I'm expounding what has been given. The words of the living God. I'm not giving you new revelation. And if I am false, <laughs> get me out of here quick. This is also part of why I believe miracles and healing gifts are no more as well in their normal sense. They were sign gifts pointing to the truth that the kingdom of God has come. Tongues also. Languages. And we'll talk more about prophecy and tongues to come. So chapter 14 is diving deep on prophecy and tongues. And so we're going to get there. But tongues also have ceased in some ways akin, because they function in some ways akin to a prophecy. Like God is revealing something to someone. And so also those no longer function. Others here though, like helping or holding others up is what that means. Helping, administrating, literally someone who guides the ship, kind of leading the way. We do see those active today. But see in this, no one will have all these gifts. We need every single one of you, all of you, matter. And so what are we to do? We'll do what Paul, and even he exhorts here, desire the building up of the body. And this is the point. As Paul writes there, verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's saying, desire this in the church, like here, we want these here, but even, in a sense, desire them for yourself for the good of the body of Christ. Not because you're like part of this spiritual elite, like I have this gift, and look at me, everyone, that's not the purpose. The purpose is for your good. Now, an obvious question here, is how will you know if you have one gift or another? That's right. Well, I'm going to push against the grain a little bit here and say it's not really the spiritual gifts test that will do this. They didn't have the spiritual gifts test in their day. How will you know? Serve. Gifts are revealed through service. 
through being part of the body of Christ and serving in the party of Christ, through being around one another amidst service, the gifts come out. Maybe you're thinking, you know, children's ministry, I just can't do that. Well, do you know that? Maybe God has gifted you to teach and specifically to be in that ministry and God would use you in some incredible ways. But you haven't done it yet. It's serve. And they'll be revealed. Yet see for what purpose. Going back to chapter 12, verse 7. It's for the good of one another. So just see how deeply love is to inform all of this here. And this is exactly where Paul is heading, isn't he? What does he say? Verse 31. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And we know where he's headed. (laughs) Chapter 13. The love chapter. So are you loving one another well? Are you aiming yourself at the good of the church? You know, as we consider Vision 2024, are we aiming ourselves at what is best for this body? with eyes dead set on Christ and the kingdom of Christ. You know, how providential this passage is for us this morning and how needed it is as we are considering Vision 2024. May we be this, a body that displays Christ, displays this. We suffer together. We rejoice together. We lock arms together for the sake of the gospel. Whatever the future holds. As members of the body of Christ, see how vital you are to the body and your own call to be an integral part within it. So may we. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word here, these spirit-inspired words that we have seen and we have considered as we wrestle with them. And I know, Lord, that I'm sure here and certainly outside of here we have a whole variety of opinions when it comes to the spiritual gifts. But whatever our view may be, may be grounded in the word of God. May it be Christ-exalting view of the giftings. And help us, Lord, as we consider these things and, and, and consider your word here and, and see that everyone here matters. And may we consider our own call to take up our call that no one here would be uninvolved in the body. Even if it just means praying. Maybe you can't physically do anything, but you can pray. May that be what we would do. And so we ask, Father, may you work in us. May your spirit make clear what you're calling us to do. May your spirit work in us in the way of each person here finding that area of service. Maybe they have one, but maybe you have given them for something else. And so may you work and may you work here for your glory in that. And if there is anyone here who does not know Christ this morning, 
May they put their faith in the Lord and be saved, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.